0: Getting here too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I want to talk a little bit about tonic miracles. And the first, wa- the first miracle I want to talk about is the fact that I don't need this at all. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Can you still hear me? Yes. This is the miracle. Look at this. <laughs> okay. Uh, still hear me? Okay. Tell me if that changes. Um, everyone should have a copy of these source. Sheep. Yes. yes. Is that? Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Great. Okay. Good. Okay. So getting back to other miracles. Um, generally. Does anybody need? For anyone who does Let me there. are two different versions of this of this miracle, miraculous season. When we talk about the miracle of Hanukkah. Right, what do we talk about? So, some people like to talk about the candles that lasted for us, right? Eight days, it was a miracle. Some people, when we, when we say Al-Hanisim, we talk about a different miracle. What miracle is that? Yeah. Right? So we, the, we, the victory is the war. The strong and the hands the weak. Uh, we beat the bad guys. Um, I want to focus on a third uh, aspect of Hanukkah, and sadly I think that in this aspect we are people that are still waiting for our redemptive miracle um, and I have a little conversation with my friend Professor Daniel Schwartz who is a historian uh, at Hebrew University and we, we talked about Josephus and Josephus reports that all the problems around Hanukkah began with fighting among Jews, within. This is a very familiar story. Uh, Much of this fighting was in the name of the Lord. Um, Some of the less attractive features of the Maccabees, we don't usually talk about in our classrooms, that they forcibly circumcised the Hellenizers, um, turned them into the authorities to be punished. These are stories that sadly we see over and over and over again throughout Jewish history. Um, So this aspect of the chronica that I want to explore, and in order to do that I want to go back to the beginning of the biblical record um, and look at this as a question of why can't siblings just get along? Um, we never have and what I'd like to ask is, might, might we ever? Um, are there indications in the biblical record itself um, that there is, there is cause for optimism? Well, to begin with, I would think it would cause for optimism that the biblical record begins with one family, and that should have some significance. We all hail back to this same nuclear family, um, but what a family. <laughs> um, right? Uh, what do we know about that family? Yeah, just because you don't have one of these doesn't mean you don't get to talk. Yeah? Yeah? Brothers, old brothers. Okay. They, well, the first family, we have brother, right, a brother who killed another brother, and, and there are all kinds of other terrible things going on there. But we, you know, we only have an hour, so we'll talk about the sibling relationship. But what have we got there? We've got we've got attempts at control, we've got anger, we've got competition, we've got violence, and we then we even have murder. It basically the sibling relationship is a mess from the first time we encounter it. Um, And just to begin to explore in what ways it's a mess and what what we might cull from all of this, um, I like you pointed out intertextual relationships between chapters, it's gotten so bad for me that I can't read one chapter without hearing all kinds of echoes of another one, so let's do it. Um, But I I want to start with a comparison of the Garden of Eden and the story of Cain and Abel. and I think that through this comparison we, we can uncover some basic truths about family relationships and specifically about the sibling relationships. So if you look at the page, your page, the same thing that I have, yes. Okay, um, you have it in Hebrew on, the, on this side, and if you turn the page you see all the things, the same thing, thing chart in English. So you can look, look on in whatever language is comfortable for you. Um, let's look at it together. The first comparison. Um, she took from its fruit and ate it. That's the sin. The woman takes from the forbidden fruit and eats it and gives it to her husband and he eats it. I've compared that with the sin in the story of Cain and Abel. A arose over his brother Hebel and killed him. Um, if we have to characterize the basic difference between these two things, what, what might we say? What type of sin is this one? Yeah, the first one we could say is is a quintess the quintessential sin between a human being and God. then adam Here are two human beings in the world with one rule: don't eat from that fruit. God sa- "Why? There doesn't seem to be any any." logical reason for it other than the fact that God has commanded. One commandment and that comes directly from God and they, of course, <coughs> there's a Bill Cosby routine about this where God says don't eat from that fruit he says where is it? Right? That's, that's, that's what happens in the first, the first chapter. Right? The second chapter, okay, to take the thought, the second one is the quintessential sin ben adam l'chavero. It doesn't get any worse than this. A human being can't do anything worse to another human being than take that human being's life. Okay, so that's we've got, we've got kind of our prototypes of the two of the two biggest sins there. But now let's see some surprising things. In the first category, in the Garden of Eden, there's a command. God says, "Don't eat from the fruit." And you notice that that little broken line there that goes next to it. That means there is no there is no um, no parallel to that in the story of Cain and Abel. Why not? Why does God not say, "Do not"? Kill your brother. Don't even think of killing your brother. Yes. you think he doesn't expect it, but doesn't he tell Who doesn't expect what? God doesn't expect anybody to be murdering. Oh, I didn't say that. I don't commanded. know what God oh, said. I'm asking God, like, why doesn't God command humanity not to kill wall. each other, just as God has commanded human beings not to eat from that fruit? Yes. Because they already have knowledge evil. So mm-hmm. therefore, ah, it's implicit. That's what I'm looking for. And when I teach this this chapter at a uh, wonderful institution which I had the privilege to teach, the Kardec Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. Year after year, students are just want to say, they want to, they want to defend time, and they want to say, maybe he doesn't know you're not supposed to kill anybody, because God never told him. And I always, sadly, I have to burst the bubble and say, but the story makes no sense if he doesn't know he's not supposed to do it. He clearly knows that it's wrong, God holds him accountable, that is also a clear indication that God expects it's, it's, him. What, what, what word did you just use? Implicit. Implicit. It's intuitive. We know from the dawn of creation, we are not supposed to kill. That yeah, I means that's natural law. What's that? Natural law. Natural law. And, and I would say that there's a power to natural law, it seems, that might even be stronger than, than, a, than a command from God. God has to command it because it isn't intuitive. It doesn't it doesn't come to us naturally. But not murdering does come to us naturally, and so there's an expectation that we're gonna that we're gonna we're gonna conduct ourselves in line with that natural law. Yes. But don't we find that Noah after the model is indeed given various methods involving Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And in fact, it is going to come. And we're also going to have low tier stuff when we get to the, to the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. That is going to be put down into, into law, ultimately. But at the, at the I'm, I'm looking here just at the very, very outset because I'm looking at these stories as, as prototypes. And I think it, it cries out for explanation that it, there are also going to be all kinds of explicit laws about mm-hmm. how, to, how to relate to God. That's all going to come later when we start codifying things. My, my interest is what happens before codification and just in stories that, that represent certain prototypes for us. And I, I see here in this, in, this, in this asymmetry between these two things I, a, a, a strong statement about the nature of, of, of murder and, and the sense that, that people should be, are expected to understand that on their own. That's how I understand it. Yes? What are you basing your implicit on? What am I basing it on? Yes. Yeah the fact that God doesn't have to even say it. That God expects it, but God doesn't say it. How can God expect it if, if, if there's no command? So either you say that God is grossly unfair, which is possible, um, or you say that God expects people to know it on their own. That's no, how I it. You're just say. deducing it. What? You're just, you're just deducing it. I am deducing it. it, and I should give out my caveat at the beginning of what I'm saying now. You are free to um, reject everything I say mm-hmm. here in the beginning. Um, I, I, what I like to do is Read the text closely. I don't to tell you that. Trisha, Trisha? Right, read the text closely and what I uh, draw what I call a kind of speculative <coughs> layer on my observations. These are things that are possible readings in this text. I hope they're even decent readings in the text, but there are many other possible and very decent readings as well. So I'm I'm giving you my thoughts on this. Next one. Uh, God called out ayeka to, to human beings. We're still in our chart. God says, eheb- Okay, and we will, this, this word is different than the word trifol. What's the difference? <coughs> if I, I live in Israel, I, I, and I, I, I often remind my students this. If you, especially when they study a lot of biblical Hebrew and don't know so much conversational Hebrew, do not stop a person in the street in Israel and say <laughs> <laughs> Don't that. Okay? Why not? Eifo is a specific place or location. Good. a Good. Is, is the word that you use when you're looking for the location of something. Where is it? Please direct me to it. What's aye? Existential. What is it? Existential. It's? Existential. Existential, rhetorical. Right? God is asking not, tell me where you are, but where are you? Adam, tell me, where are you in the world? Where are you in your thoughts, in your heart, in your conscience? Mm-hmm. Come clean. And, and, and similarly, God says, Aye, in a different form, to, to tie it. But this time, where's the focus? Not just, tell me about yourself and where you are, although I think that's part <coughs> of it. When God says, where is Hevel, your brother? What, he's really, what God is really saying is, what have you done? Tell me about what's happening to you. But there's an extra piece here. And I, again, this is very significant here. There's something... There's an added layer here, in the story of, of, of this Beinadam um, L'chavero problem in, in Chapter 4. What's, what does God say? Not just, where are you? Your where's your brother? Where's Aye, where's the brother? You're not responsible only for your own existential health. You are re- you are responsible for someone outside of yourself. And, and, and first and foremost, that would be somebody who's your own, your own brother. You're responsible. Right? And, and the response in both stories is what is it it's excuses mm-hmm. it's deflection um, it's, it's, it's both people taking taking uh, choosing to interpret the question not rhetorically but literally right they both say oh you want to know where I am oh I'm, I'm hiding over here in this bush because I'm making it on the bear you want to know here I told you right and and what does Tiin say Lo well, yeah, that's nothing how should I know I don't know where he is and then this this, this implied Shifting of blame in both stories. In the first one, um, Adam says the woman, and not just the woman, but Ha'isha asher natata Imazi, the woman whom you gave me. Why does he throw that little addition in? You expect God to say, oh, I thought you were talking about a different woman. (laughs) Right? Why (laughs) asher natata Imazi? What? You! Right? Shifting the blame, not just to the woman, but to God who made the woman. And in the second case, in the story of Cain and And here too, I think there's a very subtle implied shifting of blame back to that, Hashomer, It depends where you where you put the emphasis. Hashomer, You can say, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Um, or "Am I my brother's keeper?" But I, I, I hear something here. as opposed to you, isn't that your job? Aren't you supposed to be keeping track of the four human beings that are ro- roaming the earth? You can't find him? Right? There's this sense that, 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 that both of these people are, are, are just are just deflecting the blame from themselves and casting it off elsewhere and, and with, with tremendous, I would say, chutzpah, the technical term for it, shifting it back onto God. Okay, God then seems to run out of patience just a bit and says in both cases, okay, enough of this. Masot asita, asit to the woman. What have you done? And to kai me asita. In this case, now directly, I'm tired. I'm done asking rhetorical questions. Uh, now, just let me get to the point. I want a, I want a confession in both cases. Um, and then there is, there are consequences uh, to Adam. There are curses in both stories. Um, curses. But look at the difference. What's the difference between the curses? Okay. One is cursing the earth, and the other is cursing the person. Okay. Again, and this is this is really what I'm, the, i believe the thrust of this comparison is is showing us how parallel these stories are. But parallel plus. James Cogle writes in his book that that, uh, that biblical parallels uh, that parallel. There's always there's always. Um, also, there are synonyms, but then there's always a synonym plus. There's always something added when you have a word that means the same as something else. I'd like to say that about this parallel as well. It's parallel up until a point, and then the second one adds that extra something. And it seems to me that that extra something is this sin is even worse than the first one. The first one was really bad, and this one is even worse. Okay, and as to, to back that up, uh, and here I, this is this is my argument. Most of it right here in this, this long broken line. Um, where What is the Bible's original sin, do you think? Do we have one? We like to say we don't. Okay, the word sin is introduced for the first time in chapter 4 in creation, Not chapter 1, not chapter 2 or 3. Chapter 4 where God says this word twice, in two different ways, chatat and avor. Sin, sin. Referring to what Cain is about to do, which is murder. Never does that word appear in the story of Gan Eden. So what I would like to posit here this evening for your acceptance or rejection, up to you, is that if the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, has an original sin, it is the sin of murder, not the sin of eating from the forbidden fruit. That's what I want to say. Um, And I think, well, yeah, I think everything that we've seen before this kind of moves us in that direction. In both cases there is banishment, um, in both cases there is an eastward move, okay, really you, we, we can't ignore these parallels, they're right, pretty convincing, they belong. to stories, have a lot to say about each other, um, and then we've got God, the, the kind of a mitigation, a softening of the punishment, we have chesed throughout the story, where God um, gives people many chances, and when they don't, when they don't accept those chances, God punishes them. But even after the punishment, God says, uh, "You know, let me let me let me soften the blow a little bit." So God makes these skins for for Adam and Shabba, and God puts a sign, some kind of oath, on on Cain, which generally is understood um, to mean a, a very bad thing. But but really, in the text, it's, it's a nice thing. Right? God is saying, "Let me put this oath on you so that people won't kill you." Um, and then finally we have we have um, knowledge in the biblical sense in both stories after the misery, uh, which is a sign of what? Break, what? Break. Life goes on, right? Human resilience. Life goes on. Things are tough, yes, history. Yeah, um, just about five, six lines up we yeah. prepared um the a reward, the curse. Mm-hmm. So I think you highlighted highlight the fact that with it's a direct curse on him, and full indirect with Adam. And, and I think that would make even more sense if Adam's name was was any other name but Adam. Mm-hmm. But in that, it's Adam Adama mm-hmm. and because of the relationship, I'm wondering that at some level it, it, it is a curse of his essence and foundation and Greece huh. as well. Far be it from me to pass up a great um um phonetic. Observation, and that and that certainly is clearly there is there is an intent to draw Adam together with Adama, in a sense, he is the Adama. Um But I would still say if one maybe 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 the step down is a little shorter step. Can we compromise there? Yeah. Okay, well, okay. Um, let's let's go back to the text now. Let's let's actually look at the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Um, uh, just for some, some added insights. This is in source number 2. Let's go, we'll just go through it verse by verse and see what we can, what we can find. The ha'adam yada et Chava ishto, et kain, ish et Hashem. There two, two verses. The man knew Chava his wife, she conceived and bore Kain, and she said, I have acquired a man with God. But Tosef led it Achiv et Havel. She continued to give birth to his brother Havel. And Havel was a shepherd, and Cain was a worker of the earth. Okay. What do we know about these two characters? What can we, what can we, what can we infer from these two verses about the character of these two young men? Let's start from the beginning. But Cain is born. Let's start with an unusual phrase. La like, et kain, which should have said, she gave birth to Cain. Are we missing something? Yes. Generally, she gave birth to a child, and she called him Cain. Here, she gave birth to Cain. Seems like he was—he was Cain he was in his Cain-ness from the moment of his of his of his uh, exit from the womb. And she says, because I have acquired a man with God. This is a very difficult phrase a very ambiguous phrase. It can mean lots of things. Um, I would like to go in the direction of Abarbanel, and if you turn your page for a moment to source number three. Abarbanel is something that I, I consider to be very insightful. He says, it seems to me that she said this in order to brag. This is a translation of Abarbanel. You'll have to forgive me that I didn't bring it in the group. If the first time woman was created from man, flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones, now the man, Cain, is made from the woman, Chavah. Therefore man has no superiority over woman, since now man comes from woman. I have acquired a man with God, means she attributed Cain to herself, and not to his father. Okay, <laughs> this is amazing. What's, what's, what's Barbanel doing here? What is, what, according to him, what is Chavah, what is Chavah what's, her, what's her effort here in naming this child, this name? What's she saying? Power. Power! Power! I, okay, if, if in the Garden of Eden I was, I, I was depleted of power. You took my power away from me, God, and gave the power to this man. Now I'm going to use the only weapon available to me, which is childbearing, and I'm going I'm to reverse the hierarchy. I'm going to reverse the whole situation, and now I can rule over him. Kanisi Ish, I have acquired a man. Who's the man? Either Cain or Adam. Adam, or both, right? Or both. But we're talking about a, a, a kind of disturbing uh, and very acquisitive stance here at the beginning of her, of her birthing, uh, and she names her child for this. Okay, now I, I, I want to suggest here in this story that some of this attitude is going to find its way into Cain's behavior and his life going to infiltrate this next generation. Um, I would say that there are certain hopes, uh, expectations that are placed on this child, and I think there's something just extremely natural and uns- sadly very familiar about this, that parents, especially with first children, um, try to address many of their own issues, um, their frustrations, their, their hurts, their unfinished business, right, fears, whatever it is. A lot of that gets flung onto Onto a child. Um, and I think that maybe what we're, get, we're privy to here is, is, is one such attempt. Um, and I think we're, we're going to see some evidence of it in kind behavior toward his brother. But we're not there yet. What do we know about, what do we know about Hebel? Pasuk um, Bet, verse 2. This is a very strange way to announce the birth of a child. She continued to give birth to his brother, Hebel. Okay. Um, if you were a second-born, <laughs> wait a minute. I am. I would not want to be. I would not want to be announced in this particular matter. Why not? <laughs> no identity. No identity. You're an afterthought. You are. You are. You are pre- You are presented in relation to your older brother. You are brother. Moved um, from the very outset. But Tosef she continued as if she didn't even. You know, he didn't even warrant his own birthing session, right? Just keep keep having well, a baby and have another. Maybe that they were twins. Twin. and There are some suggestions <laughs> that they're twins, maybe. That would, might account for it. But Josef, that maybe really she didn't become pregnant again. <laughs> possibly, possibly. possibly. Um, but, but even the name, what is Hevel mean? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Vaporous, right? i call Hevel, the Kohelet, over and over <laughs> Havel, Hevel has That's quite a name. All right. So here's here's the brother of whose name is Hebel, um, and he is a Roed son He's a shepherd. Um, that we, this is this is something that i often mentioned. Try again. It, it's one of the nice things about teaching a place where people haven't read the story a hundred thousand times is that they actually can can see the story objectively. We can't. We're, we're too far gone. But but think about it for a moment. What there's something odd about about Hebel being a shepherd. What's odd about Hebel being a shepherd? He's wandering around. Uh, He's what? Wandering around. Wandering around. You yeah. To be a shepherd, you need a personality <laughs> to rule over the sheep, as it were. Okay. We'll and talk he about. Doesn't, he doesn't have a personality. All right. Well, He's that remains we to be seen. But but sh- what do we what do we need sh- a shepherd for? Sheep. Sheep. What about what do we need sheep for? Sheep needs okay. No, we were vegetarians. Thank you very much. When are people allowed to eat meat? Noah. Noah. This was pre-Noah. People are not eating meat. So what, is, what are we doing with sheep? The wool? We have wool. Okay, so it gets chilly there. They, they can wear a sweater. Um, maybe the milk. They can, they can milk the sheep and rake the milk. However, it is hard to make the claim that this is an essential profession at this moment in history for somebody to be a shepherd. As opposed to Cain, who is an Obed Adamah, which we would have to say, I think by all accounts, is quite essential. Well, the Obed Adama, and more than that, not only is it essential, what else do we know about it? It's man's primary job. What, what, what? It's Man's primary job. It's man's primary job, but what do we know about working the earth? It's also the enactment of Adam's curse. It's the enactment. he is up against Adam's curse. Right, we're told, the, the, the earth is cursed. And here's Cain who says, yes, I understand that it's cursed, but I also understand that somebody's got to do this because people have to live. And so he takes this job and I, I want to make a case at least now for a moment, for Cain, where he stands up and he says, I am the responsible party and I think this is also very uh, common to firstborns to say, I'm responsible. I'm going to step up into the, the hard thing. Um, and Hebel has the luxury of saying I'm going to be a philosopher. And you know, and a and a sheep shearer, and a, and a sweater knitter. Okay, I'm, I'm going too far. I, whatever you understand what I mean. Yes. Even before the curse, The, yes. the part that starts with the adam, there's no adam, Abode to adam Right. Yes. So yes. 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 That's like Miss Essential Candidate. that's what they're that's what they're there for. Okay, we're going to have to start picking up the pace here. Uh, uh, so let's let's go on. By he the kids Yamin, by a vet HaAdamah Mincha LaHashem, the Hevel Hevigamu Mipchorot Zono Mikhel Benim, by Lisha Hashem the Hevel VeEl Minchatol, the El Kayin the El Lo Shara. We'll stop there for a moment. It was at the end of days, Kayin brought from the fruit of the earth an offering to God, and Hevel also he brought from the firstborn of his flock and from the, their fat. And God turned toward Hebel and his offering, and to Cain and to his offering, God did not turn. Okay. Lots of things going on here. Something has shifted in the new in verses. If Cain if starts out as the person with the potential, the person with the initiative, he's the initi- he comes up with this idea to bring an offering to God. Um, but what happens? We have high expectations of Cain. We have low expectations of Hebel. Something shifts here. Kaiyin has the great idea to bring an offering, but what happened? There seems to be something, not, something less than a total effort on his part. Where do we get that indication? Other than from Rashi, where does Rashi get it? The description that we have, we have adjectives that are affixed to Hevel's offering, two adjectives from the first and from the best, and with Kaiyin we simply have mi pri from the fruit. Um, just some an idea that I had, just the fact that you have the, the word pre here, uh, the fruit, does that, does that send us back to the garden just for an instant, but that's for another time. Anyway, um, but the fact that he's he, he's not, but Hevel again, he's the gam gu kid, right? He's me too, Tfat He takes the idea from his brother, and then he does it better. Okay? Mi um, b'chorot is there... I, I would... Well, let me ask you this. Has Hebel done anything wrong? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, oh my gosh, my brother just engaged, I think in bloodlust, I think... In what? In what? Bloodlust. He's the God. What, what? But God responded to Hebel bringing the animal, I'm assuming bringing the animal, uh. could mean the end of that animal's life. Yes. And God has responded to that. Uh-huh. i wonder if that foreshadows... Couple versus later, were kind, going So, I don't know, Peter Singer here, but you know, what's the difference what? between killing animal's animal? in, in whose who's mind what's in the difference Kind figures. If God likes dead things, I may as well bring in a bigger yeah, dead thing. Or certainly not as you know, <laughs> right, <perfect>. right. <laughs> I, 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 actually see it differently. I think, I think, Cain is so angry that he is, he is showing God in a very nasty way. I, I think it's what you're saying, but he, but he knows perfectly well that he's not about to do it. And again, getting back to the intuitive point of this, where he says, you want a big dead thing? Here's a big dead thing. Take my trouble. Which I think is terrible. Really. I mean, obviously. So, okay. Um, let's, let's, I wanted to can we, can anybody has Hesel done anything wrong here? Is it all kind? Yeah. I'm um, just thinking there's two shades of Jacob and Lisa raised this time of year, Switching, Good switching to the order. Okay. And? Uh, so, and? Yeah. I mean, Havel's in the ASA role, I guess, very, but he has, he has superseded his brother. Good. And if we, if Good. Trickery, then okay, so for one thing, he is, in fact, superseding his brother. Does he do it totally for pure reasons? We will never know. Right, but it does seem that he is—he right, he is taking his brother's idea, and he is one upping his brother. Now, his brother is clearly going to see it that way. Question is, might we as well? Yes. Perhaps the, the text emphasizes the heroic road. Yes. That, that <laughs> is a direct attack on the Behar family. Mm-hmm. Okay. Beautiful. It's of the best of beautiful. The best. Okay. Why do we need that word? And why is a description of, of what's great about his, about his? His offering so no I, I agree with you this is not a coincidence this word he is he's got his eye on that and that gets us back to Yaakov and Esav I think there were there are some, some pretty I don't, I don't know if they're strong hints, but but we're good enough to find them <laughs> okay they're subtle but we're, we're going to find them anyway I think what we're getting here is is complexity there's complexity in this story. It's not entirely one-sided, although it is going to become one-sided when Kain p- decides to become a murderer. But we still have a way to go before that. What time am I ending before I figure what speed to put myself on? 8.40? Eight forty. 8.40. I'll take that. Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right, let's go. Cain um, yeah. is dangerously angry. We won't talk about God. If we have more time, we can talk about God. God enters the picture almost as another parent. Notice, God doesn't only turn toward the korban, toward the offering, God turns toward the person and rejects, not just the offering, but rejects the person. Okay? There's something very personal here. Cain is very angry, dangerously angry, in verse 5, And now we have something that's very rare, where God... um, Gives a, there's this courtesy delivered to a biblical character um, basically God appears and says, don't do it I know what you're thinking, don't do it um, and here is this almost impossible verse verse 7 Halo im Uh The teitiv la hatat rovet this is where the word hatat, sin, comes in the <speaking in foreign language> kato control both um, Okay, did we talk about Memshallah? We didn't In both stories, in the Garden of Eden and in the story of Cain and Nem Memshalah, where God says to, to, to Adam, to the woman, he is going to rule over you, and now God says to Cain, the attacking both. You will rule over it. Okay? And there's, it's enormously ambiguous. This, this, this verse is impossible. Um, I, I would like to suggest the following. That God intends one thing, and Cain hears a different thing. God is trying to tell him, "Hello, imputi, seet. If you just do the right thing, seet, you will have this uplift. You will, you will do the right thing, and you will do very beautifully in life. Stop looking at your brother. Look inside yourself. Just clean up your own act, and you will be, you will be uplifted." And and to and just to reinforce that the attacking sholgo, and and Rashi says God is talking about his yeter, rule over your own your own impulses, and 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 that's the whole story. It's not about anybody but you. What is Kayin hearing? I would argue, Se'et, Hello long And we have this word se'et used with ru'uvin, yeter se'et, the yeter as, is a word that's used for the b'chor oh what is he hearing i I not he's saying you will have control you will be the before. you will have memshamah you will still rule but i want to suggest is not you will he's not hearing. you'll rule over your yes there he's hearing you'll rule over him over that obnoxious brother you can rule over him he is instead of stopping the strife, instead of hearing god's warning that if you if you follow the, 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 the your direction that you're headed in you're going to end up doing something that is going to be irredeemable. He hears full steam ahead. There's no way to resolve this except to get rid of this person because I have to, it's, it's a zero-sum game and I need to win. And immediately after that, Vayomer el Elhevel Achiv and I, I, I want to emphasize this, that the sin is introduced with the word Vayomer. There is no weapon mentioned here. So if there's a weapon mentioned, it is his tongue, his speech. He says to Hevel his brother, end of thought, they were in the field, he rose over his brother Hebel, and, and he killed him. He kills him with words. There, there, is, this, there is this use of words, and I want, to, I want to emphasize this, because this is going to come back in the story that we're about to look at very briefly, the story of Yosef and his brothers, where words are going to be the, the central component of the strife among them. Um, following this, what we have is the recurrence of the word ach. Uh, no, before that, I just said by Yakom What I'm, what I'm arguing here is that there's a lot of nuance in this sibling relationship. There's a lot of complexity in the sibling relationship. There's not a good guy and a bad guy. Um, often there are elements of each in each one. Um, but that, those nuances begin to fall apart or completely fall apart when one rises above the other. Uh, in, in violence, and that's where Kayan loses, loses any 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 possible redeeming uh, value in the story. He kills him um, to make to, to point out how horrific this crime is. We have a sixfold repetition of the word ach immediately after the murder, brother, 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 and that comes to a total of seven because we have it at the beginning of the story as well. Seven times in this one short uh, segment. To, to let us know just how terrible this is. Murder is fratricide. Fratricide is the worst thing that can be imagined. Um, and if yet, despite that, the terrible nature of it, this is this is going to become a paradigm for much of the Book of Bereshit. Um, as you pointed out, um, Jacob and Esau, certainly. What I want to do with you now, in the time that we have left, is to talk about the story of Joseph and his brothers, which I believe uh, highlights the nuanced nature of the sibling struggle. Um, and also, um, well, we'll see that in a moment because I think Yosef is going to have elements of both Hevel and Kayin in him. And if you look at the chart, I, I, I don't know, when I'm I was preparing things, I was really into the chart In, in source number five, look at this. At uh, the bottom of page three on your sources. But, right, we saw that she continued to have his brother, when Yosef is born, his name is Yosef, right? Add. And what, is, what, is, uh, what does Rachel say when she has him? Uh, it? Yosef Hashem li ben Achem. It's just sort of interesting that both of these children are born um, and the mother speaks of another child when that child is born. Um, Chava speaks about a child that's already been born and Rachel speaks about a child that is yet to be born. Um, and I think that perhaps that is some contributing factor to these younger children working overtime for acceptance, and ultimately they do become the favorite. Um, but that's okay, I think there's, there's some real psychological truth in all that. In both stories we have, we have anger, we have hatred, partly um, deserved, certainly in the Osset story it's a lot clearer. Um, in the first story we have an actual murder, in the second we have an attempted murder, um, and in both stories we have an emphasis on the brotherhood, which I think is used in a very ironic way. Okay, that's your homework. Go home and look at the chart. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, source number six, all of a sudden Yosef has similarities to Cain. In both cases, the, the, the sibling uses speech in a very negative way. Cain uses speech when he kills his brother. Yosef uses speech to bring evil reports about his brothers to his father, Diba, He presses his advantage, or tries to, to reinforce this, this hierarchy that he's already got through Diba, through the use of his son's language. Um, and interestingly, his brothers respond in kind by withholding speech from him. Lo yachlu shalom They can't speak him. He, he's going to use speech that way. They're going to, they're going to refrain from speaking to him at all. Um, fascinating. The word named to, to rule, is, is a very rare word in the book of Rishi. It's used for the first time where? What? Um, we, nope. 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 Uh, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars. Okay? And, and that's why I think it's so interesting in the Garden of Eden that that term is used. I think there's 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 an implied, uh, negative, there's a implied negative point being made here that really nemshala is not for people it's for celestial bodies it's that it's not for people that are not supposed to rule over other people here Yosef is having dreams of rulership and in the dream he's got the sun and the moon and the stars but he's taking us back to that story and he's saying I want to be those those heavenly bodies. And I want to rule over my brothers, and that's what that's what Cain is looking at also. But passing go. where God is saying, I want you to rule over it, meaning yourself. And he's thinking Bo, I want to rule over other people, preferably a sibling. Okay, sadly, for him, there is nobody other than a sibling, so he's got to rule over him. But rulership—that's the key here. Okay, let's let's look at the story now. Let's go on. I'm going to move ahead here. Yes. The Yosef story is a complex presentation of the worst of sibling rivalry. Uh, what I'm trying to show here is the fact that Yosef has elements of both Cain and Hethel. He is, in some ways, the vic- the victimizer, and probably in more ways, the victim. Uh, but there's a basic difference between the two stories and for us it's a happy difference especially if we're looking for some glimmer of light here. The happy difference is he doesn't die. They say let's kill him but they don't actually manage to kill him. So is there hope for Tikkun all the while that the sibling is still alive? The story doesn't end the way that it did before. He's sold instead for what? What do they sell him for? three Kaseh, 20 pieces of silver. Um, and I would like to request at this point um, for you to hold that thought in your mind. We're going to come back to it. These 20 pieces of silver I think are very important. Um, the question that's left for us is can these people live together? Can there be peace? Um, is there hope? So for the brothers, we, a lot has been said about the fact that the brothers go through some sort of a redemptive process when they're faced with a similar situation with another youngest child of Yaakov, who's that? Yeah. Yeah. ben and he, like Yosef, is called, remember? Right? Yosef is the Ben-Zikunim, but ben is the Yelid zikunim but so he is kind of the reincarnation of Yosef. And the brothers are placed in a similar situation where they, they could have Given in to feelings of competitiveness, they could have they could have been resentful. They could have let him die easily, but instead they stand up and they say, "Take us instead, Yehuda, as the representative of the brothers. As the leader says, take me instead." They basically risk their lives this time in order to spare their brother. It's a very, a, a very impressive tikkun in act. But what I want to argue here, and I, maybe I'm being a little hard to please, but I think in this case actions are not louder than words I think that when you have the tikkun before you have the, the confession before you have the bidui when you have the kabbalah la'atid before the bidui you skip a really, a really necessary step there is, has not yet been a moment where there's been an actual conversation between these brothers and I think that's, that's what's missing in this book are brothers talking to each other not just having one talking at the other did it just get a lot quieter here yeah. Okay, so I think what we're looking for here is a tikkun to the dibaraa, to, to, to the abusive speech on Yosef's part, to the lo yachlu daberola shalom on the part of the brothers, this, this refraining from speaking to him, this, this, this missed dialogue between these brothers, can they actually talk to each other? Um, and, and partly, what I want to do in order to explore this is to look not just at the at the process that the brothers have to go through, but the process that Yosef has to go through as well. And, and there's there hasn't been a lot of a lot of emphasis placed on Yosef's process, which I, I have to actually believe is, is very uh, is very central to this whole thing. If you look at source number eight on your pages, Yosef um, is in the house of uh, Potiphar, and he. I would argue, becomes a victim of a, a person who has memshallah over him, who uses speech against him. He becomes a victim of his own crime. Um, and if you look just here at the bottom of page 4, uh, people, it's, it's kind of, you know, racier to say that this is, this is a story of seduction. But I'm sorry I have to say this. I don't see seduction here. I see sexual harassment. <laughs> right? But tisa eshet Adonav et Eneha. And in case we missed the point, again, vayomer el eshet Adonav. This woman is presented as his master's wife. And she issues an order. Shikh ini. Lie with me. Right? This is not seductive. Lie with me. That is your command and she speaks to him every single day and we can imagine that what she's saying to him every single day are those same two words shichva imi lie with me he refuses for all kinds of reasons and we're not going to go deeply into the story but I want to suffice it to say that she she uses her speech in a a very um, aggressive way in this story in two different ways one is by issuing these orders to this young man in, in a harassing way, basically saying, I have the power and you don't, and if you don't give me what I want, you know that you're going to suffer terrible consequences. And in fact, that's, that's the way this thing plays out. In addition to that, she uses her speech in another destructive way in the story, which is her manipulation of the story, and it's really a fascinating read, we'll talk about this next time. How she, how she just changes little nuances in the story in each telling to vindicate herself and to implicate Yosef. Um, just to give you two quick examples, the, the the garment was left in her hand. Right, remember she grabs him and he runs away and she's left holding his garment, and that's a real problem if you want to if you want to cry rape. Why why does she have his garment in her hand? should shouldn't be that way. So what does she say? When she tells the story, she says, He left the garment with me. Or as we say in Brooklyn, by me. <laughs> right? <laughs> by me. It sounds like he dropped his, his garment on the floor as a prelude to an attack. In addition to that, when she's speaking to her household staff, when she wants to get their support, she says, She calls him the Hebrew slave. Oh, I'm sorry. No. She says, A Hebrew man. She should call him a Hebrew slave. That's what he is. Why does she call him a Hebrew man when she's talking to her household people? Because they are slaves. And if she says the household slave, they'll say, wait a minute. We're with him. He's one of us. So she, she turns, instead of playing the, the class card, what does she play? The race card. But when she's talking to her husband, she says, <laughs> Because there she wants to play the, the, the class card. There she has to form an alliance with her husband. So she's a genius. Throughout the story, she's, she's just shifting words this way, that way. And in fact, the word, the words to speak, le-daber and le mort, each of those words appears seven times in this, in this little tightly packed <laughs> section, and in very almost um, awkward ways. Vatomer lahem <laughs> le ha over and over and over again, there's words with um, daber, daber, daber. it's not on your page. daber, 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 Omer, omer, omer. It's all about words. It's all about the power <coughs> of words. And he is on the receiving end this time. And I would argue that Yosef is changed as a result of this. Um, And often people are changed when suddenly positions are shifted, and they feel what it's like to be on the other end of something. Right? And he feels it very strongly. And I I would suggest that on the way toward tikkun, we have we have we have a significant change. And if you look here in the middle of page five, when he finally reveals his his true identity. Oh, now I see why we needed the noise. It's really hot in here. Can I come back on? Huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, when he reveals his true identity to his brothers, you, know, you see right in the middle of the page? By Yosef El Echab, Ani Yosef. Ah, okay. Uh, no more complaining about that. yachlu I would argue that we are in a very familiar place here. Where his brothers are, are <laughs> rendered speechless. In the face of Yosef's overwhelming power before them, they're they're terrified of him. They can't they can't speak, and that harks back to to the that the shalom because of the Zibaraha. But what does Yosef do here this time? Instead of pressing his advantage, he says to them, "Gishuna lie, come close. vayomer, I'm Yosef, your brother whom you sold into slavery." And then he says the most remarkable thing. You didn't send me here, God did. Okay? Is that true? Um, maybe on some level, but they certainly did send him there. There's this sense that he is, he too, like the brothers, is skipping over a, a very important step in the reconciliation process where he's decided that it's time to reconcile because he understands his part in things. But what he doesn't have from his end. Is, is some kind of conversation about what actually happened. There's no, there's no uh, process on his part. So the brothers are skipping over their piece in the process where they say, we did this to you, and he's skipping over the part in the process where he says, yes, you did that to me. And I'm pretty angry about that, and I had a lot of pain, and that was really terrible, and now let's try to find some kind of resolution. That hasn't happened yet, okay? Um, so I would argue that something has happened and something significant has happened, and to the point that, that look just below this, he falls on his brother's neck and cries. Yosef does a lot of crying. He cries on all the brothers, and then we have this seemingly odd anticlimax The dibru echad ito. Okay, crying and weeping and emotion, and afterwards his brothers talk, talk to him. Um, but if we look at it this way, that that's what we've been waiting for. This, this actually is a very important turning point where some kind of conversation is being restored. But I would argue that we're not we're not there yet. We still have something to go through, and that is the money. Okay, those of you who were alive at the time of Watergate will certainly remember Deep Throat saying to John to John Alden, to 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 Bob Woodward, follow the money follow the money okay so bear with me i want to follow the money okay why oh why does this you say play this trick on his brothers seemingly very cruel thing to do where he puts the brothers come with a certain amount of money of kisses and he orders his servants to put the money back into, the, into the, their sack And they discover it, and they're really upset and worried because they think that now this this ruler of Egypt is going to kill them. And then Yosef isn't satisfied with that. He does it again. This time he puts the Gavia ha his silver goblet. Where does he put it? (laughs) (laughs) Into sack. Okay, and again, causing tremendous uh, consternation and worry on the part of his brothers. Why is Yosef doing this? He wants to keep sack. Okay, he wants to keep it back. I, I, I would suggest he doing something else here. Yes. It's payback. It's payback. To him. For what? And, well, because of all the agony that they caused him. I mean, there's a reason. Rabbi Sover says that the midrash is for readers. Yes. So for the midrash have said that Joseph so was crying yes. in the pit. Yes. Even though the text doesn't say this. So now we have crying and misery on the part yes. of us. Yes. All true. But look, there's one more piece here. The ketzef. They sold it for twenty pieces of kesef. Basically, what are they? What, what are they? What are they saying when they do that? They're saying this 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 uh, this substance is more valuable than you are. You are expendable. Worse than expendable. You are an annoyance. We're going to get rid of you, and we're going to take this. We're going to take this, this this currency in your place. I says it was shoes. Says it was shoes. Even worse. Okay. Know, says it's even worse. Yeah. Thanks for pointing. Yes, but what I'm seeing here. Is, is a trauma being worked out on the part of Yosef. He has a trauma with Kesef. Kesef was, was, was more valuable him than his than life. And so he says to his brothers, without saying it, but through demonstrating it over, over and over again, here, you want money? Here's money. And he's basically rubbing their noses in it. Right here, the, when, the, when money, when Kesef is the last thing that you want, When Kesef is going to make you fear for your lives, you're going to find Kesef and more Kesef. And in fact, two (laughs) more things I want to say about Kesef. One, is that believe it or not, the no, I won't say that. I'll say first, I want to say, if you look at the bottom of page five, that you'll say this isn't enough, and I really, I'm sensing trauma here. It's not enough to make his brothers hate Kesef. The entire known world has to hate it. He or or, or devalue it. He nationalizes the land when he when he writes in his economic plan, and he finally gets to a point where the people come to him and they say, "We take us. We we he money is worthless. It's amazing. He he's so I think traumatized by money that he can't rest until money has lost all of its value." And this word, kesef, and th- now I want to get to this, is the word appears in this word, kesef, appears in this story 20 times. It's true. You can count. 20 times. Mm-hmm. And I think, really, that this text is telling us that Yosef is working really hard to find some redemption for those 20 pieces mm-hmm. of silver that were considered to be more valuable than he was. Uh, okay. Ah, oh, what am I going to do? This? Triage time. Let's go. Um, okay. Okay. Let's get some reconciliation going. Finally, in source number 10, the brothers, uh, Yaakov has died, and the brothers, I would argue, finally say what they have needed to say. They say to Yosef, we sinned against you, and they use three different words for sin. Pesha, chatat, and ra'a. And not only that, they use the word sana twice. Okay, remember back in the Kayin story, Here we have the Sa and the Khatat raised up the sin. Um, they are, I think, here genuinely repenting and telling Yosef they are really sorry for what they've done. And here, on his end, Yosef says to them, Yes! I'm going to forgive you, but first I want you to know, and now that he's purged himself with that whole money thing, now he can say to them, "Atem,, Allah,." He's not saying what he said earlier. You didn't do anything. Don't worry, it was God's plan. He's saying you did something. He did something horrible. But now I'm ready to forgive you and. El liban. And I get the sense that here, at this, finally, at the final point in the story, he's able to talk from his heart to their heart that there are words that are really genuinely being exchanged between these brothers, um, and that that we we finally leave the book with some hope of repair. Um, Okay, so I think the end of the book of Bereshit gives us some hope, but the book as a whole gives us a dire warning about how fraught this sibling relationship is, um, and I I just want to end by saying a few things about the sibling relationship. First of all, why is it the most fraught? Um, Siblings are the people we could argue who are the closest to us. They knew us back when. There's something very threatening about them. uh, We may have been very careful about constructing our identities in this world, and they know better. (laughs) Uh, There's there's, there's something there that's a little bit threatening. Um, In addition to that, they're, 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 they're very much like us right? They're, too, they're a little close, too close for comfort, but then they're different in ways that we don't want them to be different. We want them to be not too, not too similar and not too different. They should share our values, share our priorities, but yet they're separate people, right? All in all they get under our skin in a way that nobody else can. And I have a nice quote somewhere, yes. Um, George Eliot says, family likeness has often a deep sadness in it. Nature, that great tragic dramatist, knits us together by bone and muscle and divides us by the subtler web web of our brains and ties us by the heartstrings to the beings that jar us at every movement. Okay. Oh, Anyways, um, I want to cite one other thinker, and that is Rabbi Yehuda Leon Ashkenazi, known as Rabbi ManiTu. Have you ever come across him in the statement? He the leader of French Jewry after World War II, a philosopher, a mystic. He was in conversation with Levinas, and he, on the words re'acha kamocha," he has a very, a very creative reading. He says we need a special commandment to love the the fellow who is the most like you. V'ahavta l'reacha shehu kamocha Love the one who is most like you because it's not so easy. And then he has a little word play on rea, the friend, and raa. It's very easy to see the ra in the rea, but don't do it. Okay, and, and getting back to where we began, Jewish history is filled with tragic example of sibling strife, And this, these are all paradigms for it. Why can't we get along with each other for all these reasons? We're close. But we're but we're distant. We're close to, in the ways that we're close. It's too close. In the ways that we're distant, it's too distant. We we want to know why doesn't everybody just do what we do? Why can't we be the same, right? We can't tolerate we can tolerate strangers, uh, but but not our own, right? We look at an Amish person and we say, oh how charming. We look at a Haredi person and we say how embarrassing. But why is it, right? Um, the easy part of our history is when we have clear cut wars. And I I kind of, you know when I read Giborim beYad Chalashim. It's too easy. Yes, yay, we won the war, we can cheer ourselves on, we have clear good guys and bad guys. But what about when we ourselves are both the giborin and the kalashin, and what happens when we act- actually sometimes exchange places, because, because we're all, we're all siblings, right? It's just so much more complicated when it's internal. Um, we don't want victory, right? That's, that's not the prize, to win, right? That's not what we're after." In Israel today, if I could say a depressing word about Israel, right, um, the, the non-religious feel that the Haredim threatened our mo- most basic ideals, our freedom, our enlightenment. They stand for coercion and repression and theocracy and a return to the dark ages. And the Haredim think that the Chavonim, they wanted, they want to destroy the Jewish soul of the state. They want to nullify our identity obliterate our justification for existing. Nothing less than that. Leftists leftists feel that right-wingers are going to destroy democracy, turn the state into a racist, fascist entity that's shunned by the entire world. Right-wingers fear that leftists are suicidally... Sorry, deluded. They're going to abandon our security and bring about Israel's demise. Okay, I'm not exaggerating. Um, <laughs> the language that is used is almost violent. I'm afraid fascist Nazi parasites come on on the lake We've all heard these words in political debate. Um, I understand that here in the United States you have a few issues too. <laughs> uh, right. um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just a visitor here, but I think up the APAC and J Street and the and, and RCA and the IRS and uh, okay and, and the blogosphere and all of it. But In in Israel, some of these debates have become so heated they have led to physical violence and as we know they have led to murder. So these stories are are not, not fantasies. So in conclusion, I want to say that the challenge that is posed by these texts is to seek a complex, nuanced resolution to sibling problems. Um, honest, even harsh debate, and I think this, 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 the ending of the story with say, that's what we want to get to, where we can have the difficult conversation without hierarchy, without power, power uh, 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 politics, but real communication, certainly without hatred. Um, so the real of miracle that I look forward to is instead of seeking victory of the weak over the strong or the strong over the weak, to end the search for victory, um, use our energies for state over our own weaknesses. Um, not over other people, but over our own How can we improve ourselves now? How can we get other people to be more like us? And after all, it is the love for those closest to us, the members of our own family, that I would argue constitutes the Bible's most basic calling and is the recipe for overturning what I consider to be the Bible's original sin. Um, thank you. Do um, have any questions?